Welcome everyone to the OG Pod. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by my friend, Ellie Finkelstein, who is the CEO and founder of Constructor.io, an AI-first startup that's now over 100 employees and worldwide. Uh, Ellie and I know each other from back in the day. We've known each other for about 10 years now. Uh, we met in Silicon Valley working at the same startup, Backplane. How's it going, man? Good. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to see you. Oh, it's great to see you. It's been too long. Um, I'm really interested in Constructor and what you guys are building because I remember when you started out, I kind of had this initial thought of like, it's an autocomplete. I mean, I guess that's a company, you know, no offense <laughs> or whatever, but obviously yeah, you built like you've built so much value. I remember like when you got listed with NPM and like you had these other kind of breakthrough moments um, throughout the story of your company. But yeah, tell us about Constructor, how you had the vision that something um, as, as like seemingly simple as search could be so impactful and how you've scaled your business to be over 100 employees and worldwide. Such a good story. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll, I'll give you the short version because I don't want to bore your listeners. And then if there's anything that you think is, is interesting, we can give you a longer version. But nice. um, before you and I met, I was, I was working on search at another e-commerce company. And then I was um, after Backplane, which was where you and I hung out, uh, I was doing consulting on it a little bit afterwards with other e-commerce companies. And the mostly data always, science stuff work, right? Yeah, is what exactly. you were doing. Yep. Yeah, data science and um, specifically like an interest area for me was always uh, product discovery within data science. So it's like search, browse, recommendations, basically like you, you see a user, how do you decide which products to show to that user given the inputs that they've given you? And um, before I started, before like we started doing constructor, when most people think about search, they, they'll usually think about a, this word relevance, like how relevant the results look. So like, you know, you're, you're looking for like a pair of pants or something like that. Like, are you actually getting returned pants or like, are you getting returned shoes or something irrelevant like that? And the thing to, to me was when you're looking at that in the context of e-commerce, like relevance isn't really the main thing. The main thing is, are you showing people something that they would be interested in buying? Like right. if I go on to like a clothing website and I search for pants and like you show me a bunch of like women's pants or like kids pants, like they're technically relevant. I search for pants, you're giving me pants, but it's not something that I would be interested in, in buying. A much better thing for me would be like, you show me things that I might actually purchase. And even if they're not called pants, if they're called jeans or something like that instead, like, we can have our argument about which one of those is more relevant. But at the end of the day, like I as a shopper care about finding things that I want to buy. And if I was a retailer, I'd care about you know, giving things that uh, a shopper might be willing to buy to that shopper. So, so was, was this kinda... solving a problem that you knew existed within many companies was just like, you know, even, even within Backplane, we wanted to surface all sorts of different types of content to customers around uh, a fan base like Lady Gaga. So you were already thinking about these type of problems and differentiating between, is it like relevance and intention or, or relevance and like, uh, I guess like the, what the company is trying to sell? 
Like what is the, the, the distinction there? The metric that we um, that we use for it is is attractiveness, which is this term that was coined by engineers at, at Google and Cornell. And like basically, what it means is um, you're taking into account everything that you know about a customer's click stream. So like, what are the things are they clicking on? What are they adding to cart? What are they scrolling right past? Like, what are they telling you about themselves through their activity on the site? And then based off of that, you're adapting the site more and more to them. So like the way that we want to think about it is your experience on a site powered by constructors should be very similar to your experience on like a Netflix or a Spotify where you very actively personalized. want to, Exactly. Very personalized, but you actively want it to be personalizing to you because it's a better experience yep. for you. It's not yeah. like the sort of personalization that you might have on like Google or something like that where you're like, oh, that's creepy that it like remembers that thing that I you know, looked at it on like some other website way back when it's like, no, like I'm coming to like American. It's Eagle not ads. Or... It's, it's helping users fill their intention with the results that they would actually be looking for based off of all of these different signals. So what are the signals that you might get besides just like looking at this page or like, what are kind of some of the more abstract signals that go into how you rank attractiveness? Well, one of the big things that I think is um, not done often enough online right now, but at least my take on it is I think it's going to be done more and more, is what we call zero-party data. So um, it's kind of a weird term, but basically the way that a lot of folks within the space will think about it is first-party data will be like your click stream. So like, what are you clicking on? What are you adding to cart? That stuff we were just talking about. Zero-party data is why don't I just ask you a question? Like, as you're coming to a website, yeah, get direct like, feedback. Just ask, right, like, you know, do, are you looking for like gluten-free stuff? Like, you can just answer that yes or no. And then based on your answer, you expect the website to adapt to it. Mm -hmm. you know, if you're coming to like, a clothing website, like what's your pants size? Do you like flashy colors or do you like stuff that's a little bit more subdued? Like, are you looking to, just buy the best pair of pants regardless of the cost or are you really trying to save money like you so don't that's really going to be a really clear strong signal from signaling the user's intention and then of course the the prompts the questions that are asked those are determined by the company kind of like whatever their marketing whatever their product yeah is. i mean I, I think it kind of like hits this this underserved use case right now where like we're used to searching for things or browsing for things online, but sometimes that's not really like gonna scratch your itch. So like as an example, if I'm a person that's kind of hitting analysis paralysis, like I've got two kids, maybe I want to buy them a birthday part, a present. Like I'm not sure what the right present is for to buy for them. It's not difficult for me to find toys on a website. Like I can search for it, I can browse to it. My problem isn't finding toys, my problem is deciding which one is the right toy. Yep. If I was going into a store, I could go and find a store associate and hopefully they know what they're doing and I would like ask them questions. But online, you can have an even better experience than that. Like you can have the very best merchandisers within that store create a series of questions to ask the person that very basically are like, okay, you know, does your kid like Batman or Superman? Do they like building things? Maybe then it's Legos or something like that. And but each one of those signals gets fed into some kind of a machine learning algorithm. Like your company is very AI first, right? Yeah, exactly. So everything that we do is, um, it, it's all probabilistic. It's all based on AI and uh, very much for us, it's like about using 
statistics using probability to give people the thing that um, they're most likely to want to buy. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so talk to us a little bit about the story of constructor. Like how did you get fundraising? How did you hire your first employee? Those kind of things. Well, for fundraising, um, I told them that I knew you and then they just offered me millions and millions of dollars. Yes. Yes. That's how it works. It was great. Yeah. (laughs) As a thank you, I wanted to come on this podcast. Well, I I appreciate Um, that. My, my pleasure. It's, um, we're even now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the, the fundraising was, was a slog. Um, like you were mentioning, in the early days, the very first thing that we built, because we knew that building a search engine from scratch would uh, take many years, we, we built AutoSuggest, and that's all that we were selling in the early days. And I think a lot of the investors that we spoke to, they had the same reaction that you did at the beginning of this podcast, which was like, it's that's not a company. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's like it's like a nice feature. It's not a company. Um, it just shows and, and, that and, and, founders yeah. have to have this vision, and they have to approach it from like the MVP, as we all know, whatever the minimal viable product for people that don't know the acronym. Um, but you have this vision of how you can start with something and then elaborate it over time, and like only you see that, and nobody else really gets that, you know. Well, you, you, you're trying your, your best to convince these people that right, right. Like, you will be able to build it and they kind of have to make up their mind about whether this like random person that's talking to them that they've met, never met before in their entire lives is going to be able to build this thing that like they promised they're going to build. Yep. I think something like 95% of the time that's not true. So right. they've got a hard job. VCs, totally. Yeah. Yeah, that is a hard job. So how did you convince like your initial uh, seed round or like how did your initial funding get happen? Um, So we we got lucky that our our biggest investor in our seed round was a person that um, my co-founder and I had worked with previously at a company called Shutterstock. So he was the former president of Shutterstock and he had had experience working with especially my co-founder more than me and he was willing to take a shot on us which was very kind of him um and and how did you spend your initial money were you hiring people were you like buying servers were you what what did you do with like the um yeah to grow i guess we, we took the money and um we built a hot tub on the roof and we thought that that would be really cool to you know i'm just kidding um hey it might work you got to attract talent somehow exactly <laughs> yeah no there's like i don't know it's like a meme or something like that like a lot of people they'll raise money and they'll go and spend it on something stupid immediately to like celebrate it and it's like no no, no you got to use yeah. that money to build a business <laughs> like otherwise yeah. this is all pointless you got to learn that lesson the hard way some people <laughs> yeah um but no, we, we used it to go and, and hire people. Um, we used some of it for, for servers as well, but we were lucky to get into some uh, of the startup programs that the cloud companies have. Um, so we got some credits that way. So it was primarily for hiring. So um, you have your initial idea, your initial product. How has your product line evolved over the years from um, autocomplete into, it sounds like it's a full blown search. And yeah, like what products do you offer to people? Yeah, um, so it's it's everything that we think of in the category of product discovery. 
So anywhere that you can show a product on your retail website, our job is making sure the product that the shopper sees is personalized to them, it's attractive to them, and it is aligned with the business metric that the retailer most cares about. Um, and you're tracking every unit of data, just knowing your background in data science and, and using quantifiable uh, results to be able to show like, hey, here's the impact of using Constructor on your business. So that, that's exactly right. Um, you know, the, the auto suggest thing like we were talking about before, we, we laugh about it a little bit now, but the, the reason that it worked and why we were, you know, we didn't die at that time is that a lot of people don't realize, but every little part of your product discovery experience can make a pretty big impact. And so for the auto suggest, like we were lucky that we were able to convince a few companies to test it. And when they tested it, like the primary difference in it, it doesn't sound very sexy, but it was the typo tolerance was much better than um, anything that you could get anywhere else. And so when uh, they tested it, you would see anywhere from on the low end, it was like a 3% increase in revenue for searching users. And on the high end, one company even saw a 15% increase. Wow, that's a huge jump. All from typo tolerance, right? Which like, yeah, it's terrible for sales. Like nobody hears typo tolerance and they're like, you wouldn't really think of that typo tolerance. I've never even really thought of that. But of course, like, is it G E E N or G E A N? Like, you know, those kind of things probably make a huge difference, uh, accumulated over, over like the full volume of search. People, it turns out are terrible at spelling. Yeah. Uh, well, we've all been punished by autocomplete, I feel. I don't even try to spell anymore. I'm like, ah, the computer will fix it. The computer will fix it, but like if you're going onto a retail website where a lot of the time what they're selling isn't actually an English word. Like you think mm -hmm. about like a wine website, right? Like you try yeah, to spell Yeah, like you've like just heard it at a bar. You maybe didn't even hear it perfectly. And then you're trying to like type that into a word. You definitely need some kind of typing, uh, typo fixing. Yeah, I mean, like, even right now, like, you, you probably ask, like, a good chunk of the people that are listening to this podcast, like, spell Cabernet Sauvignon. It, it doesn't spell the way that, like, it sounds, right? Like, you kind of just have to know the way that it's spelled. And if you yeah, think you like the Yeah, there's, like, a U way, in the Sauvignon or what I can't even say it. <laughs> yeah, it, but there's a lot of examples like I think that. I could do so, Cabernet. There you go. Yeah. All right. Um, but, yeah, the, the idea is that it actually turns out that exactly to your point, over a large amount of data, it actually does make a difference. And when you send half the users to, like, your old algorithm and half the users to the new one that we invented, um, we were able to show these revenue lifts. And so these companies were nice enough to keep us around. And then eventually and I have we developed to... I have to imagine that's a big part of your company. So Constructor's eight years in? Uh, about uh, eight years, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that is like proven building the thing, but yeah. 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 But that is like a proven durable business and you have a uh, worldwide presence and I'm sure a, an amazing client list since like eight years ago, NPM was on the client list and that's like pretty cool <laughs> for me anyway. Um, nice. but I think, Thank I you. think it's gotta be so like, uh, it, it, it's kind of like when you have a really good product, you don't have to work that hard to sell it. And what's a really good product? Well, one that you can show with data works. And yeah, I think that it's, probably it's makes some durable funny. clients. I'm probably the worst salesperson in the world. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, my, my background's data science. Like, you, you don't want a data scientist as a salesperson. So, like, 
the pitch for the longest time, and honestly, it's it's not that far away from it now. Is like, please just try it. You'll like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you totally. Can test it, and you can see that your users are having a better experience, and like you can see that mathematically. Like you don't need to take my word for it. You don't need to ask them. Like you can literally see that you're going to be getting more purchases on the side that's using constructor than the side that isn't. But that's like the same thing that makes Tesla such a strong business. They don't have to market themselves like the word naturally spreads from people that use it and they just enjoy it. Try it. You'll like it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the but whole experience comes in um, automatically. So you you have this idea based off of your past work of a problem that you can solve. You get your initial uh funding this was deep learning the deep learning breakthrough happened around 2012 right so you're right at the beginning of ai how quickly how like how does your company leverage ai and and how quickly was that coming into play in terms of the product experience and personalization so there there have been like a bunch of breakthroughs over the course of i mean from from uh before the company was founded all the way up until like right i mean you guys the people who are really listening to this probably have played around with G chat gpt totally like that in and of itself is, is a massive breakthrough the technology that made that possible which has a funny name it's called transformers yep um generative transformer became, protocol or whatever um it's like a a big truck with like a no i'm just kidding yeah um it's the saviors of the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's more than meets the eye. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm full of... I've got two kids now, so I've got, I have to make dad jokes now. It's like a obligatory... <laughs> it's a requirement, yeah. yeah. The second like, they're born, the mantle falls upon you. <laughs> yeah. If you don't make dad jokes, we will take your children. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. I'll, I'll start, I'll start. Um, but So no, you've but, been leveraging breakthroughs for years now. Well, we're, we're, we're trying to, I mean, like yeah. there's a lot of people who are trying to and sure. Right. I, I hope that we do a decent job for our customers, but, um, one of the ones like that I'm most interested and excited about right now is actually transformers, which is the same thing that the chat GPT is based on. Basically it's, it's a way of letting a computer understand much more context, uh, within what somebody is typing. And so like one of the things that we've been convinced of as a company for a while is that the way that people search right now we kind of search like cave people right like we're just like typing in these words like without any sort of sentence structure around it like you, if you walk into like a store like you're not going to go up to somebody and be like blue shirt nike like that would be like yeah. weird right right like you're going to explain what you want and like what you're looking for and like they'll get it based off of that but when you go onto the website you're like Blue shirt totally. Nike, Blue and that's what's super normal. Totally. With Transformers, the idea is that instead of just needing to match on those keywords, which is kind of what people are stuck with right now, or they have been stuck with in the past, it will let us add much more nuance, much more explanation, much more expressivity uh, to that search. And so you'll both be able to speak to it more like a human, and it'll be able to understand you better instead of just like hoping that you get the right keywords. Can you share anything about how this technology actually works? Like at, at any level, probably the highest level, like what is a transformer? 
I mean, I've tried to understand a little bit myself. It seems like what they're trying to do is always predict the next word. And you get these huge models that like read the entire internet and everything that's ever been written. And from that, I guess you get like this matrix of connections. And this is the black box part that nobody can exactly like, you know, cite the source for how it determined the answer. Is it non-deterministic? What do they call that? Which, like stochastic or something? Just the results of these transformers. So it, it's probabilistic. Um, probabilistic, right? That would make sense. So, like, um, the it, it's it's based on an on an older technology that actually might be the thing that uh, you're referring to back in 2012. Um, basically, one of the things that that people realized that is both fascinating and painful to me um, is that you actually get much farther in human in computer understanding of human language using statistics than you do using linguistics which uh, like i love linguistics so i was like shit that sucks like <laughs> i wanted to do more stuff can, with can you explain but, a little bit more what that means yeah. like linguistics is like talking statistics is math but like how does that come together y yeah so like um if you're looking at this stuff maybe like call it 20 years ago plus maybe a little bit less than that but call it like 20 years ago plus it wasn't clear to people whether the way the best way to get a computer to understand human language was through basically like understanding how human language works so like the mm -hmm. rules behind mm -hmm. it and that's linguistics makes sense so like you can think of it as like similar to like the grammatical rules that you were learning as a kid Right, like you have to say like whom if it's an object and it's who if it's a subject and like you have all of these different rules like that and if you teach the computer all of those rules then it'll both be able to generate and understand human language much better. Um, the, but the what it turned out is that the rules mattered or were less effective than just the straight probabilities learning based off of massive data sets. Is that the case? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wow. exactly. And people started realizing that first in translation. Uh, so like machine translation, like Google wow. did a much better job of that than anybody else had beforehand. And theirs was not really based on linguistics. Like they weren't, it wasn't built by linguists. It was built by statisticians, basically like machine learning engineers. That's so counterintuitive though. You would think that the way to teach a machine a game would be to teach it the rules of the game. But then isn't that not how like, uh, the Google bot past go where like, instead of just learning the rules, it just like learn from a million iterations of the game, something like that. Yeah, exactly. But the interesting thing is like, when you think about it, it actually makes sense because how do you learn a language? That's true. Like, right. A million iterations. Yeah. Like as a kid, you just heard a bunch of people speaking English and, and so did I. And like, now all of a sudden you speak English and like you learn the rules after the fact, but the rules aren't the only reason you learn, you know how to speak. Yeah, yeah, that's totally true. You can speak before you know the rules. That itself provides a clue for why the probability method works. Yeah, and like I'm, I'm oversimplifying all of this stuff, and like oh, anybody it's who's pretty listening, complex this, already. Like, I think no, no, no but I mean, like anybody who's listening to this would find like thirty different holes in every in, in what I just said, which would be completely reasonable. But like I'm, I'm trying to keep it interesting at the same time. This stuff is so interesting, and I feel like people. Um, will appreciate just like the highest, broadest level understanding of how this stuff works. 
but yeah, so we're working with these language models probabilistically, statistic, like statistically. And through that, we... So how are you incorporating or how do you imagine that these transformers might impact your business down the road? I just think that similarly to how we... When, when you're working with ChatGPT and it sounds like... Um, you, you've played around with it. Like, I think it's just about oh, everything yeah. on earth when it's played around with it. Cause it's I talk cool to it like an hour a day. It's a problem. Yeah, it's, it's, I talk to awesome. it until it tells me that I'm out of requests. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, that's a good, it's, you know. I mean, it's like playing with magic. Like, it's... It is. Dude, totally. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can speak to it in, in full sentences. Like, you don't need to use keywords. You don't need to be, like, very, very careful about how you phrase something. Like... You can phrase it in all sorts of different ways, and for the most part, it'll it'll understand you. And when you're comparing that to searching online right now, like it's kind of the exact opposite, right? Like mm -hmm. you have to be very very careful about exactly which keywords you use, and like you, know, you don't want to accidentally hit like a synonym that can like mean some other thing potentially. Like it's almost like a skill that we've we've learned at this point. We're just used to like how to search for something. How to search. And kind of the big question in my head is, is that going to be what our kids do as well, or like will our kids have you know, something much closer to ChatGPT and it's easier to speak to it as a human? And I think like, it has to be that. the latter. I think it has to be the latter because the advantage of GPT is that you don't necessarily so. Two, two things come to mind. One, I do think that it, talking to these AIs and interfacing with AI will be a skill, similar to like how searching is a skill. And there are people that get better and worse results at Google. <laughs> they just, that's how it yeah. is. Um, and so there'll be people that get better and worse results with AI. But it's already so natural um, that it seems like Google is always a couple of clicks. You're providing the keywords, and that's what your business is all about, right? It's about reducing friction, surfacing the thing the customer actually wants and making that uh, tied to what the business is promoting. Um, and so with Google, you type in some keywords or whatever, and then it's a couple clicks, and maybe you get what you want. With GPT, it, it, sure, it's rife with misinformation today, lots of flaws, whatever. The long term, you type in your question your query not keywords a query and you get a solution you get an answer you get a result and like that's way different than going and reading a couple of pages of of stack overflow to find a you know answer to a question uh, the big question in, in my head with this is i think that folks like me um we we get a little bit drunk on the algorithms like we're like, oh, you've got this like really, really cool algorithm and like it does things that look like magic and like that's, you know, that's the golden uh, holy grail. The thing is right. in reality, like I think the UI is is just as if not more important than the algorithms themselves. And a lot of it is just about convenience. Mm -hmm. Like there, there's this open question in, in my head at least of, is looking for something via a chatbot, via something like ChatGPT, is that actually more convenient than looking for it via keywords? I don't and know. I mean, answer... uh, sorry, keep going. 
No, I was just going to say, uh, like, if the answer to that is is yes, like, is it always yes? Or is it yes for just some certain subset of, of queries? Right. I could see it being yes for some subset. But increasingly, the more that we can interface with this AI, like it's just in the room. Like, imagine a passive mic. I know, it's creepy, big brother, whatever. We're all getting spied on anyway. What does it even matter? Imagine a passive mic is just like you can talk to it like it, it's somebody there in the room with you. And you could just ask it its question in real time. And like you said, so you're getting all this context somehow from these transformers. I don't quite understand how that works. But the crazy thing is going to be like, what if it has context of your last conversation or your last 10 years? And it's been personalized to your queries, your searching habits. Like that is going to produce amazing results. And you're going to be like, what were we talking about last week? I wanted to go. Eat. Oh, yeah, it was that restaurant. You know, those things, yeah. that type of stuff. The, the personalization, like, I've got no doubt. I think I think that is just continuously proved year after year that, like, as long as you're not creepy with it, like, as long as you don't. Um, Pull like, in just, external information. And what's yeah, creepy, like, do you think? Well, I, I think that shoppers are, are giving you as a company their trust when they're going on there and like you need to respect that trust and so like sure if you're doing things that don't really help the shopper but maybe make you a quick buck like you should probably stop and think about like maybe short term that might be a good idea but long term that's a terrible idea yeah so at least to me, it's like always having the shopper's interest first. Like, of course, yeah. it's a business. We all recognize it's a business. You want to like you want to sell them something. But it's nice that like they're coming to your store because they want to buy something. They wouldn't be there like if they don't want to buy something. And so well, and look you, at you all the most money. look at all the most successful businesses in the world. They all just focus on the product. And they don't take shortcuts. And, you know, Amazon, how many decades? Was it decades before they made money? Like, it was a long time. And and they started selling books, you know. And now there's the meme. I sell whatever the fuck I want. It's pretty good. I don't know if you've seen that. Rip Jeff Bezos in, like, a, in like a, some kind of V-neck or some kind of uh, vest. Anyway, it's funny. But, I yeah, like, Tesla, T- Tesla is a product that sells itself. Amazon, same thing. Like um, the best thing I think that people can do business wise is never take a shortcut, front load everything and do your and and do your best to just build the thing that works the best for everyone. Yeah, I mean, like respect the people that that are your shoppers, respect the people that are your customers. Don't. Don't forsake their trust, like. You have a business. I think Jeff Bezos is like one of the first people that like really harped on that. And like, it's it's kind of funny. Like even right now, like there are plenty of things that you could say Amazon does poorly, and like I would one hundred percent. I mean, I would, I would agree with you on a lot of them, but they still respect the customer quite a bit. Like they're still very very customer first, and at least Absolutely. to me, like that's one of the most important things when you're building a business. You respect the people who put the trust in you. Well, everyone in tech knows now the term customer experience. And as far as I can tell, we got that from Bezos. Is that right? I didn't know that. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where he got it, but where I traced it was from people that used to work for him. 
and I that he would always like, you know, kind of like harp on the customer experience. We always have to think about the customer experience. And now I think about that with everything like with this podcast, what's the viewer experience uh, with your uh, you're talking about the shopper experience. But that's what people resonate with the experience of something. That's what brings people back time and time again is if they actually enjoy the experience of it like that. Yeah. Well, I hope so. So let's hop back to a constructor. Um, you got some funding, you've got some employees, like where, what are some of the lessons? Like, what can you share with somebody who let's say they're a potential entrepreneur, they're in the same position you were 10 years ago, 2012, they have an idea, maybe even they have some cash or whatever, like what should they be thinking about? What are the pitfalls? What have you learned? Um, well, we, we actually were, were at a company together and a lot of the pitfalls that I learned were, were from that company. Backplane. Um, yeah. Backplane. Exactly. Let's just name so, it. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, it, it's fine. The company doesn't, doesn't, doesn't exist anymore, but, um, I don't know if you've like mentioned it on your show before, but that was a pretty cool experience. I have recently actually, but yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, yeah. well, we, we got to work with some cool people and we got to work on some cool stuff. So um, cool. But at the same time, like there are things that, that we could have done much better. Like I would say like getting people aligned on a single plan like that. We, we could have done that much better at, at Backplane than we did. Years um, earlier. Year, years earlier. Having a very clear vision of how you get to success. I think we could have done that much better and like align people behind that success. Um, having an idea of what not to work on. Like that was one of the biggest things that I learned there. Like there are plenty of things that you can work on that are um, gonna drive marginal value, but like, especially as a startup, like marginal value is not what you're looking for. Yeah. Like you're looking for like big heaps of value that you need to figure out real early before you run out of money. Right. Like, there are things that could be great once you're, you know, six, seven, eight years in, but like at the beginning, like, you go for something that gets you like a 1% increase in, in revenue or something like that. Like if your revenue is like $5, like bad, bad time to be doing that. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Over optimizing before you have like product market fit, for example. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's exactly a good, a good example of it. Um, so those, that, so was there was, ever time in the history of your company where you were just like, this is hard. Uh, like yesterday, I don't know. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's hard to build a company. Like, every day, out. including today, that I've been doing this company. That's a great answer. I love that answer. Uh, no, it's 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 really um, uh, it's it's very. Well, it makes hard. sense. It it makes sense that it would be that way because you know, like these things are difficult to do, and if it was easy, everyone would do it. Yeah, ex exactly. Um, so what keeps like, you motivated though? Like in that landscape of difficulty, like what keeps you being like, okay, why don't I just sell this tomorrow? I'm sure you've had offers. I'm sure there's been like opportunities. What keeps you motivated? Well, I don't know. What, what will you give me for it, Caleb? Uh, I, uh, I got to see some stats, 50 million, a right. hundred million. How much you want? Perfect. I'll give you whatever you want. You tell me. Perfect. <laughs> Love it. I want, I want the originals podcast. No, I like the originals. <laughs> I want to keep that for me. <laughs> all right. All right. Then no deal. I'm sorry. Um, uh, damn. No, what, what, what keeps me motivated is at least to me, like this is 
one of, if not the most interesting problems that I could be working on. Like I'm, I'm a language geek at heart and I really, really like machine learning. And this is one of the few places where like, if you're dealing with search with product discovery, like so much of it touches upon human language, so much of it touches upon um, uh, the machine learning aspects of it, so much of it touches upon really understanding people, like the psychology aspect of it I think is really interesting. Um, and so much of it touches upon just figuring out what does success actually look like? So what does success actually look like for an individual person, like an individual shopper coming to the website? And I think that a lot of people, when they're looking at this problem, like they don't think about those things as much as they should. And I get a real kick out of thinking about that stuff. And I think that I'm always learning and that's what keeps me motivated. Well, I think you have to be an empathic person to even have those perspectives and to be thinking like from the perspective of the customer. When I am shopping for something like what is going to create the best experience for for me. Now, were you bilingual, right? You you. What's your like something kind like of that. family history, if you don't mind me asking? I'm, I'm Ukrainian. Ukrainian. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a little. And uh, has like did any of that kind of like influence your path into this world of tech or data science or or uh, rather linguistics and AI or was it just yeah, other interests? No, I, th I think so. Um, I, I got really into like a bunch of language classes when I was uh, little and I kind of just stuck with it. Like it's a long story, but for different reasons. Um, I, I, I grew up uh, religious, so I was like learning um, Hebrew and Aramaic when I was uh, younger. And just like comparing like how those different languages worked to like Russian, comparing that to English, like that was just like a really, really interesting thing for me. And then- Did you ever like, see the movie Arrival? No. Oh, dude, it's a great movie. I think you'd like it. Well, I think everyone would like it, but it's like this sci-fi movie where aliens come, they land on the earth, they got all this future tech. But the point of the movie is that when this translator learned to speak this alien language, it rewired her mind and she was able to see basically through time. She got like this weird power where she was able to like visualize through time back and forward. And, um, and I thought that was a really interesting idea that I think that other languages do change your mind, especially computer programming. That'll make you like more logical, maybe more robotic even, but it'll help you be more efficient and more, I don't know, rational. Um, but I've heard many people say that this expression that like, there's no way, there's no word to express in English what I want to say in Russian or yeah, totally. yeah, that kind of stuff that happens all the, one of them. Um, I think that's fascinating. I think that, uh, I think at least to me, that's even more fascinating. Well, not more, but like also fascinating is that with some languages you can create meaning, um, just through the, like the structure or the morphology of a language that doesn't exist in anywhere else. So not anywhere else, but like in, in other languages. So like as an example, yeah. um, if you ever read like Latin poetry, because Latin, uh, the order of words doesn't matter nearly so much as English, what it lets you do is it lets you create extra, like you can think of it as like poetic meaning through the order of the words. Hmm. So like you could say something like, um, there's this uh, Latin poem, uh, I think it's Ovid if I'm remembering right, but he's describing uh, Poseidon, like the, the god of water or whatever, I'm blanking on it. Yeah. But he says, 
where he sits uh, between two large whales. And, like, the word two is on one side of the word Poseidon, and the word whales is on the other. So, like, he's literally, like, the word Poseidon is literally sitting between the words for two and whales. Right, which is, like, an extra layer of meaning that, like, or poetic meaning, at least, that you wouldn't be able to do in English at all. Like, it's not even, like, a thing. That is so cool but, that that uh, languages have this ability not only to have unique things within um, words that don't exist in other languages, but the actual structure of the language can inspire different ideas or thoughts. Yeah. And I think yeah. it, it's almost like, to me, like, you're, you know, we, we live, like, looking and thinking in, in three dimensions. And, like, if somebody just, like, all of a sudden opened your eyes up to, like, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth dimension, and you're like, holy shit, like, there's all this stuff here that, like, I didn't see before. But, like, that's so cool. Well, there kind of has to be, like, in science, extra stuff that we can't see because we know that dogs have such better smells than us and other animals can do like echolocation. There's a wide variety of senses and we're enhancing our senses, James Webb Space Telescope. Now we can see an infrared, you know, like we're enhancing the human senses, but um, it does make you wonder like how people are going to evolve in a world where we have AI and um, infinite compute and like, what are people gonna do with all this stuff? I don't even know. I don't know, probably cat pictures. It's, it's going to be memes. It's seriously going to be memes. But like some, some people will be productive. So what do you see for the future of Constructor? Like how, what, are you, what are you excited about like um, in a couple of years from now? Yeah, I just think that the way that we discover products online right now is so much worse than, than what it could be. Like every yeah. single part of it. Yeah. I mean, like one thing that we haven't even scratched the surface on as an example is when, when you go onto a typical website, the, the user interface looks exactly the same. Like you search for something, you get rows and columns of products back, right? Totally. And you don't, you don't get those back because that's the best user experience. Like it's not that somebody sat down and they were like, you know what? Like grids, like that's going to yeah. be fantastic. It's, you get that stuff back because it's the easiest way to show something coming out of a database. Totally. Like it was very much designed by engineers, not like people that had the customer in mind first. And yeah. can we show something that's, that's better than that? Like when you look compared to what's available in brick and mortar, you know, I, I walk mm. into a store, like stuff is not there in like these like grids. Like they think very carefully about like what products they put on the mannequin and like which ones they put together, what products they have draped off the shelves in a certain way what's in the like cubbies in the back versus what's hanging on, on, on the hangers in the front. Like, so is that, that a good way to understand could... constructor? Like we're going to make your storefront epic. Like whatever, whenever people are coming in integrating with your products, you know, that like, you're not walking into like, you know, uh, some, what's a, what's a dumb, like electronic store. I don't know. Fries. Let's pick on fries. You're walking into an Apple store. Like this is an Apple store. Is it like that's the as kind much, of difference the product can make? As much as possible. Like we, we want to make the shopping experience enjoyable. Uh, we want to create So what other UIs homes. have you been thinking of possibly playing with? Because it does seem like, yeah, if I'm getting rows from a database, that's how I'm going to surface it. You know, like I can't yeah. even really think of how else I would display it. I mean, I, I think it's still early days, but 
I think that like showing certain products, let's say with like, I'm just coming up with like simple ideas, but like maybe you show something with like a long, long form description and like you show like a much bigger, more beautiful image of it. And like you can't do that for everything because it takes up so much space. But if you're very confident that one product is going to appeal to somebody, like your maybe top you line, yeah, it. exactly. Like maybe so, kind of like how like Google search does uh, these inline results almost where like if you search for a football game, you're going to get the score right there with the logos and the time and yeah, they have like all of these, yeah, kind of like card UIs. Okay. That's a cool way to think of it. it it's a good example of like this sort of um, innovation that you can do in the UI. But like another example is like, does it have to be an image? Like, could it be a video? Like, could it, could it be something that like shows the thing being used? Like, it could. Is that a better UI or a worse UI? I don't know, but like we should try it out. And we should figure it out. That is a really good approach to things is like, I mean, you have to have like the scale to be able to run those experiments. So like when you're first building a company, you don't want to start going down that optimization road. Now that you have all of the scale, you can start to tackle those kind of questions. I, I just think that the experience of shopping online can be so much better than what it is right now. And like, somebody's going to figure that out. Like somebody's going to figure out how to make it that much better. And if we can have at least a small part in that, like, I think that's badass. Well, you're so well poised. So like you have like these transformers. Um, does that mean that in the future I'll just go in and be like, Hey, I like the Nike brand and the Bengals. I'm a fan of their uh, sport team, whatever, show me what you got. And it's going to like take in all the inputs of everything else that I've ever looked at and blah, blah, blah. And show me like, boom, you want these shoes right here. I mean, it, it's the idea is you, you want to marry the technology with like the user experience. So there, there are open questions about like whether you want to use like everything the person has ever done, but because you want it to be is... scoped and contextual to, uh, yeah. <coughs> Exactly. And you don't want to be creepy and all that stuff. Like we, we want to make sure yeah. that we respect the users, the shoppers trust. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, always going to be a problem with a AI company is like, you're just gathering so much data and people I think have this wariness of how their data is used. I don't know. My philosophy is like cat is so out of the bag in that regard. There's no, we should all, of course, respect everyone's privacy as much as we're going to. But like th your data is out there. I don't know. What do you think about like data and privacy? Like it seems like the Apple phone, the iPhone can just be hacked by anyone. Like if you got like 25 grand, you can get like a zero day exploit and like take over someone's life. You know, yeah, have you heard about that at all? I, I, I've thought about it. I think it's terrifying. Yeah, like um, why if I'm a, if I'm a hacker and I find an exploit, why am I going to go give it to a bug bounty for five grand to Apple? Why don't I sell it for fifty grand or five hundred grand on the black market and have it never be discovered? Yeah, so I, th I, th I think you're hitting upon like why companies like Constructor need to be need to take security very very seriously. So like one of the things that, for example, we'll do is we never take any personally identifiable information. So even if somebody were to hack into Constructor, which like we take pretty strong precautions to make sure it never happens and it never has happened in the past, but even if they did, like they wouldn't be able to tie the data we have back to, let's say, Caleb Ogden. 
like they would have like a random identifier if they coupled that with like they also hacked like one of the places that you shopped maybe they could get a little bit closer but like you have to you'd have to do quite a lot and the data that we have at the end of the day isn't all that interesting anyways well i think uh yeah no that is a good measure to anonymize everything as much as you can um, but still, like you need all of these data signals create a better end product because the more that you can capture of people's intention while shopping or preferences from even like their browsing behavior, the better you're going to be able to surface uh, results. Sometimes I see an ad where I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I want. You know, like that's exactly what I'm looking for. And it's yeah, a satisfying it's experience. And that's actually the best customer experience that you could create for somebody is like everyone's making money then. Because like the ad, you want to buy the product. You don't feel like you're just like uh, getting marketed to by some whatever company. It's personalized. It's yeah, that's a good experience. Absolutely. Um, I unfortunately have to run. Okay, we're at, we're at about an hour in, um, dude. I freaking love this conversation. I hope we can keep it going another time. Um, I think everyone I needs to. Like people i'm like jumping around onto like random esoteric shit that I'm... dude this is so fun uh just just give us a quick recap of constructor like what you're proud of with your business and where it's going um how people can connect with you that kind of stuff you're doing cool shit um, man thank you very much i really appreciate that uh constructor is a product discovery company geared towards e-commerce we work with businesses like sephora bonobos american eagle uh, mostly large retailers that um, you, you might shop at already. And what we do is try to make sure that the shopping experience on those websites is as shopper-friendly as possible for you. It makes sure that the products that you see on there are personalized to you, they're attractive to you, and um, they're things that you ideally want to buy. That's so cool, man. Well, it's Constructor IO. Uh, everyone go and integrate with their product, use their, uh, go apply for their company. And I just really appreciate the discussion, man. I feel like we could keep talking for a long time, but I want to respect your time. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ellie. Good seeing you, my friend. Great to see you. Great to see you. See you guys.